This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We've covered a lot of use cases every single Tuesday here on the AI and Business Podcast. We cover use cases, everything from fraud and banking to chatbots for retailers and you name it. Today, we're talking about airlines, and we're talking about optimizing what meals an airline carries for the passengers on the plane. Uh, as it turns out, there are you know, billions of dollars spent on airline meals, whether it's preparing it, schlepping it around the world in terms of burning fuel. There's a lot of cost at hand here. And there's also customer experience. We all know the feeling. You know, you wanted the vegetarian option and they ran out of it, or you wanted the chicken and they ran out of it, whatever the case may be. These are things that airlines want to minimize because they obviously want to keep us as customers. We speak this week with Kurt Wemmel, who is the chief customer officer at Dataiku. Dataiku is a machine learning platform. They happen to be the leader in ML platforms. They're recognized by Gartner as the leader in that category of machine learning platforms, and they work across various and sundry sectors. Uh, we speak about how data can be marshaled in this airline space, and it's almost a representative use case to think about the use of data to optimize customer experience, but with other constraints. And in this case, the other constraint is, of course, cost. We're talking about fuel, we're talking about cooking meals, shipping meals, etc. So an interesting sort of real deployment instance uh, where we, we explore the ins and outs of what it looks like to make AI come to life in the real world. Lots of applications here to other industries. Retail is one of them. If you're interested in personalization and customer experience, retail is probably the farthest ahead in that space if we look at big enterprise sectors. And if you haven't already downloaded our AI and retail cheat sheet, you should go ahead and get it. It's emerj.com slash R-E-T and then the number one. So that's emerge with a J, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash R-E-T like retail and then the number one. And you can download that free PDF. So that'll be some additional use cases on top of what we cover here today. If you're interested more in personalization, more in the future of customer experience, I highly recommend grabbing that PDF. But without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode with Kurt at Dataiku here in the AI and Business Podcast. So, Kurt, glad to have you with us here. Uh, I know we're going to be talking about a rather novel and interesting use case around optimizing what food items airlines have, uh, which is just just a really interesting example of personalization and inventory management. Can you tee up the problem, like what this airline was going through, why it was relevant for the business, and then we'll talk about AI after? Yeah, sure thing, Dan. And thanks so much for uh, for having us on. Really happy to to be here to talk about it. And yeah, so basically, you know, one of our customers is uh, is an airline, uh, you know, let's say international carrier flying around the world. And as you can imagine, you know, having flown on planes yourself, I oh, yeah. presume, maybe not a too lot much. in the last few yeah, months. Yeah, not too much right? in the last few months, but, but too much sure. before that. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I, I know the feeling. You know the experience. Uh, they come down the aisle and, you know, they're asking, do you want the chicken? Do you want the beef? Or do you want the vegetarian option? Yeah, right? yeah. And maybe you've seen, you know, up in the aisle ahead of you that, uh, man, that, that chicken looks really good. And you kind of got your heart set on the chicken. You got your answer all teed up. Flight attendant comes by. Uh, what would you like to eat? You say, I want the chicken. And they say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry we're all out. Um, because everyone saw how great that chicken looked. So one, right, you're having a frustrating experience. Now, imagine what happens then when they get to the back of the aisle and they did their best. They overstocked uh, their different meals, meaning that they bought a bunch of meals. They spent the money on those meals. They put them on the airplanes. They heated them up. 
they flew them around the world. <laughs> and what did they have to do with them upon their arrival at the destination? They had to just throw them out, right? Which is bad. And it's bad for from a cost uh, perspective. It's bad from you know just the actual cost of the food, uh, maybe from an environmental perspective, you know, yep. food waste, uh, sure. But also just burning all that fuel just to fly around unused beef dinners, right? And so that's, you know, the, kind of the context that they were in, you know, looking at a problem, both from inventory management, you know, the logistics of getting the right food in the right place, at the right time, but also from a customer experience standpoint, where you know they want to maximize the pleasure, the, uh, the the positive experience that you have, and the more often they can allow you to say, or they can say, yes, of course we have that. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. the, the, the happier they're going to be. So they were looking at that problem really from multiple angles and trying to solve for for multiple constraints at the same time, which is. I think pretty pretty interesting, right? Where you have a single use case, which is both a logistics use case, a customer experience use case, and one where you know they they, they were really hoping that they could go beyond just kind of the traditional methods that they were using for stocking their planes. Yeah. So it, again, different, not not unlike a lot of complicated business solutions. You you you've got a couple axes you want to maximize, right? It's very unlikely you're going to get to the very top right corner. You want to be somewhere in the in the top right quadrant, but you you might not be able to be in the corner. But getting even to the quadrant could be so impactful. How were they solving this problem beforehand? I mean, how were they estimating, okay, well, the Chicago flight, you know, historically has more beef. Like, are, are they tracking sort of consumption from different takeoff locations or, or whatnot? How, how were they trying to square this circle before? Yeah. And so, of course, a big part of it was that they did have that historical data. But the way that generally the planning was being done was, you know, with basically meal planners, uh, you know, kind of part of the, the, the in-flight experience team, just planning what they thought would be best given uh, given what they know, given the feedback that they're getting from the flight crews about the quality of the meals, the quantity of the meals, you know, what they were serving. But again, it was a very manual process and very much based on human intuition about how they would, you know, just look at the feedback that they were getting, look at the number of meals that were going uneaten, look at the meals that were consistently running out, and then do their best, which I think is what you see often with AI solutions, right? Historically, people have been doing an okay job, but where the promise really is, uh, is often on those use cases where as a matter of fact, thanks to how the uh, you know the algorithm works, it's able to process a lot more information. It's able to you know ingest all of that uh, historical data and really actually come up with with a better prediction than even the you know the the line of business experts would have been able to do themselves. Yeah, I, I think this is the great promise. I think in order to get there, and now we'll transition into into the AI one here. Again, I hope for the listeners tuned in, this is a representative case of anything inventory, anything personalization. You know, I just, I wanted to pick this use case because it's just airline meals. is just such a unique little funky, funky one. I think people have fun with this. Clearly to get to that top right quadrant to do better than human intuition, we would need to have a grounding in reality that machines could train on. And it feels to me like, well, we need to know, maybe we'd know for every given flight, what did we have in inventory? I have no idea if this was tracked, but what, what, what do we have at takeoff? What do we have at land? Which items were thrown out? So when we take off and land, we can presume which ones were eaten based on what was gone. And then we would need to potentially in an ideal universe know how many people said, I'd like the chicken. And then they were told, well, you know, we don't have it anymore. I don't, that, that's probably not trackable. Nobody's got a, a checklist or a clicker that they're, they're entering there. But, but it would seem like, okay, are those the data points we're training off of? Or is there something broader that this system had to draw from? Well, what's involved to calibrate this problem? Because we got to have that baseline data, but what is it? 
For sure. Yeah. And so uh, what's what was great, right, was that they did have you know all the knowledge of what came onto the flight and what came off of the flight. But to your point, right, they they did not have you know any sense of every time there was a sort of a, a frustration point um, yeah. other than, you know, kind of anecdotal report, you know, kind of self-reported from the flight route sort of things. But th- that's not going to be enough volume to uh, to train on. Of course, what one of the things that they were able to do was they were able to infer, you know, create some uh, inferred statistics around the level of frustration, um, okay. you know, for example, around, you know, the fact that even though they had, you know, they stacked a lot of a certain type of meal, it was consistently running out. They were able to infer that, hey, this is this is not a one-off thing, right? That's a that's a situation where most likely that ran out early in the flight and a lot of people had to had to take a second choice, which, you know, of course, again, major source of frustration. Yeah. So they had all of that historical data. They were able to, you know, create, you know, some inferences from that. But what was also quite powerful for them was to add into that a lot of uh, additional external sources of data as well, right? Everything from, of course, the, you know, desti- the origin and the destination cities, um, because of course, international carrier, yep. strong influence of, you know, national culture, what people are going to prefer to eat and so on. And, you know, I mean, you've flown a lot of different for routes. Sure, yeah. Indian of folks, course, vegetarian, different- whatever the case Exactly. Be, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Would often have a customized menu, but even within that, you, you layer onto that also, you know, what day of the week is it? Is it more of a business traveler that we, yeah. that we're serving? Is it more of a, a recreational traveler? You layer onto that everything that you know about the actual individuals, of course, who are going to be on that flight, right? Because this, you're an airline. Now we're getting complicated. This, this is this right? is where things exactly. get wild, right? right? You start to look at individual records of JetBlue or whoever this is, right? Uh, you know, sure. a, a nameless company, but you know, individual records of what flights have they taken historically? What do we happen to know about them? Do they bring family with? I mean, it feels like exactly. right. that that almost gets that almost gets endless in terms of the number of features about individual humans that sure. we have. Talk right. about that. Well, you know, I I don't know in this particular case if they went this far, but of course, you know, with a lot. So I do know that they were layering on, you know, frequent flyer miles or frequent flyer uh, uh, numbers and loyalty programs, what they know historically about that individual. But of course, what you could do is also go all the way out to, you know, the social route. If people have connected, you have logged in using one of their social accounts, if they've synced that up because they've used that for, you know, to contact the airline in the past, maybe they used a direct message to contact in the past. What can you learn from that person's historical social interactions around what their broad preferences might be? And you know they're going to be on that flight. So that can be another another you know tiny weight in the favor of a little more chicken on this flight. That feels – this last one just in all seriousness feels a little bit unreasonable. I mean I think the ideal, Kurt, would be we know loyalty member 6655AB2 right. – has gotten chicken on this flight, got beef on this flight, mm-hmm. got chicken on this flight, and had the egg breakfast on this flight. Because, of course, we also have time. You, you mentioned takeoff city, destination city, weekday, yep. weekend, um, time. All these factors, insanely, it seems like just knowing what we have for inventory, takeoff and land from all those destinations, we could build a really, really good statistical yep. model. But you're saying at least hypothetically we could layer in this other stuff. It's a real shame we don't know that 112265X, whose name is, you know, Ragav Stevens or whatever it is, sure, right. um, yep. you know, we don't know his, the actual meals he got, unlike Amazon, where we know what they've purchased every time they've exactly. logged in. So you're saying we may have had to proxy around that 
Yeah, exactly. Well, in, 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 of course, some airlines have gone all the way to having like in-seat ordering, right? Where you can order, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, where you true, can order true. in your seat. And so, you know, those are airlines you, and you've been talking about, you know, the different, you know, kind of the, uh, the matrix or which quadrant are you in, right? What are you optimizing for? How complex do you want your systems to be? Of course. Um, and the way, as I understand the way that this, uh, uh, this airline was thinking about the problem, it was kind of a stopgap as well. Um, before we go to full seat by seat ordering, custom menus, et cetera, yeah, yeah, yeah. can we just get better right can we just get better with our existing systems right and and, and do enough that's that it's just worth the effort could we just get a little bit better at it because even being a little bit better could present some some real savings and a better experience right yeah millions and millions in in savings for sure you know i remember some funny metric i forget if it was one of the jim collins uh business books talking about you know how many olives they used in the salad in Southwest. Yeah, exactly. You, you, you right. think yeah, it's so trivial. One olive out of the yeah, salad, exactly, right? Right. right? It's just like exactly. what the? How can millions of dollars add up from an olive? But but yeah, it's it's crazy how that stuff happens. So we can imagine no, a whole sure. meal, you know, a cooked beef or something. I mean, this this is money that's flying around. So yeah, I mean, it probably weighs about a pound, right? You know, if you think about one of those, you know, that's and, and that's that's a lot, right? So you really want to get that down to whatever the lowest possible like surplus you might need to Absolutely. hit the right level of customer experience. Experience, right. Yeah. And, and again, you know, low cost carrier may prefer to really hit the cost savings and just say, here, we're just exactly. going to, we're going to do the bare minimum across everything. And if we don't have what you want, too bad. This was an yeah. airline, which is more, uh, you know, not a low cost carrier, yeah. you know, they were putting the, uh, uh, the emphasis higher on customer satisfaction and accepting to have a little bit of margin to, uh, to work with. Got it. Yeah. And, and I think the, the, the ideal beauty of, of a tool of this kind would be that we could calibrate it. We could say, which quadrant do we want to be in? Do we just exactly. want to slam customer service? you know, all the way through into the right, because we just, we want to maximize that and we'll, we'll suck up a little bit of wasted food for it. Or, you know, are we at a point or we got to hit a quarterly goal where we have to dial things back and then we can, you know, tweak all the features. It does feel to me like if we're yanking from Twitter data from all these people, (laughs) just the computing power required to do that, all of a sudden we're losing all of our savings right right away. But it (laughs) does, it does feel like just knowing the historicals, takeoffs, et cetera, what, what food item it is, probably each one, like the beef, you know, curry has like, you know, F for food, two, two, six, six, something, or whatever. They all have a number. And so, you know, yep. we, we know the food items take off land, destinations, et cetera. We can calibrate a system to say the, the really hard part here is proxying customer satisfaction because that does yep. feel like the fuzziest part. It's kind of like economists yep. to some That's degree. Right. I, I use it. This is maybe not the best analogy, but it's sort of. It's hard to be accountable to our results there. So in terms of of food waste, I think it's very, very easy for us to be accountable. In terms of weight, it's very easy to be accountable. In terms of customer satisfaction, man, we have to come up with proxies we actually feel strong about. How do they go about that? Because we we talk about an AI system. We want to feel like this is worth the effort. We have to estimate the the impact on, on, on a customer. How do they go about that in these situations? Well, yeah, and of course, the gold standard is going to be reported data, you know, actual, you know, in surveys out to the customers post-flight, uh, you know, to at least to a subset saying, what was your experience, uh, you know, and not what was your experience boarding? What was your experience this? Now thinking about your meal, what was your experience with the meal? Did we have the option that you uh, that you wanted? Okay. So that's the answer okay, that we're looking yeah, for. Cool. What was the quality of the meal? Right. And so, you know, again, as a frequent flyer in the past, you know, I would participate in a lot of those surveys. I, I try to be generous with my data, <laughs> you know, provide them with <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that customer you know feedback. The way around you're like well exactly. i hope more people do this for me exactly right. <laughs> yeah, so, so. we'll uh, uh try to try to be uh, generalizable in that uh, in that way so they, of course they were doing that and they were they were continuing to do that 
So surveys are the are always the gold standard, right? And you know, at the end of a flight, they'll they'll often push out a survey to the passengers on the flight, or at least a small subset of them, and it might ask about everything, you know, from your uh, your boarding experience, your baggage uh, drop off experience, to the meal. And so, of course, the team that uh, that's working on this uh, this particular project, they're going to go and want to pull out those responses from those surveys and track that. That's the gold standard. Otherwise, right, you could be monitoring back to social media, right, uh, monitoring uh, the social media. What is the sentiment coming out? You know, you could, and, and again, I'm not sure if this is something that was done, but they could set up, you know, an alert for, you know, their their airline name and some keywords, meal, food, things like that, to also make sure that, you know, there's uh, there's not people out there tweeting, hey, so-and-so airline, really annoyed that you didn't have the meal that I wanted, right? Yeah, uh, yeah But again, yeah, those are, exactly. you know, you're probably not going to have enough volume there. Most often, you're going to want to work off of the the surveys and ideally some sort of common data set of customer experience, right? So that you're not launching your own survey, whereas, you know, the the team which is working on, you know, some other aspect of the customer experience, boarding, boarding efficiency, baggage drop off, yeah, whatever it may yeah. be. You want to have that as an integrated view as well in that you can then infer some some results back from uh, from your your new predictive product. Yeah, so that's key. And, and I think what some of this is going to make companies do is, frankly, if, if we're if we're not just using these surveys in the old school sense, but now we're using them to inform expensive technology investments, we may need to change our surveys sure. to include the things that we, that we were applying. So th- this this pulls us up to even our, our survey strategy. So it feels like we've got the gold standard of you know we hope a subset of the people in first class and and coach uh, you know respond to this survey and we'll just get a, a general proxy as to the the questions and we'll hope that that works out it's from what you had mentioned before there was also some kind of an inferred score of like hey what we run out of you know if we ever flat run out of something right. we can presume that x or or, or some, something something akin to that and so maybe that gets factored in there too because we can we can come up with some very rough estimate as to but better than nothing estimate as to how many people did we say no to yeah exactly so we, we might be able to roll both of those numbers up into what was the impact on customers. Yeah, exactly. Service. And, you know, it's easy then for us to imagine, hey, well, why don't you just have the, you know, the, the flight attendants track when they ran out of a particular food? Well, I mean, the flight attendant job is uh, it's a pretty difficult one, right? Already a lot yeah, going exactly. on. So yeah. you don't want to add anything there. At <laughs> yeah. most, maybe you could ask them to, you know, kind of know at which, which point, which aisle, right, we we, we ran out or which row uh, in the in the seat. But even that, right, is going to be... Even that's, it's tough. It's going to be, they're going to remember it after the fact. They're just going to say a number because sure, they need to exactly. make something up, right? right? I mean, that's just fluffy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, well, you get into questions around experiment design. Um, do you, How do you start testing this and its impact? Are you doing it on all flights? Um, are you doing it on a subset of flights? Do you have enough data coming back from, you know, again, customer experience surveys to be able to tell you that, hey, this was a good experience on this flight, but a bad experience on that flight? Can you do that over enough flights, over enough time to get comparisons or are you just comparing yeah. against your, your history? Those are all some of the methodological uh, questions, which there's never a clear cut answer for, you know, and that's often yeah. the job of the data scientist is to to do their best job <laughs> to choose an approach, which is most likely going to give them the level of confidence that they need. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's its own. We could do a whole nother podcast sure. just on the topic of when does it make sense to compare to history versus run a split test? Because of course, running such a split test requires a lot more resources sure. uh, just to run the test, right? That, that's one of the things that we'll see from, you know, we interview hundreds of vendors and 
it's often really hard to say, well, how long was this workflow taking you before you worked with us? It's like, I don't, it's in the middle of these two other workflows. Like we, we, right. we never had a number for it. Like I'm not going to be able to give you a number, right. you know, like we know it's a little shorter than it was, but, but I don't have a number for it. And, and that's really hard if we're trying to get down to brass tacks. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, all right. Well, at, at least we got through the, the nuts and bolts of this example and what this could mean for folks. I think this is a really, really fun and unique use case. Well, it, it, and uh, it's one so. where, which I think is really instructive of one of the challenges of building these kind of products well, in that it's not just purely a data science problem, right? It's not just about building the best possible model. Well, it's about building the best model that does what? That minimizes losses, that maximizes yep. satisfaction. Ultimately, it's a business problem that there has to be a business decision for, that we're willing to trade off this for, for that. 100%. Yeah. The real world is not Kaggle. Uh, those of you who listen to this <laughs> podcast for long enough have had me say those words in iron and in stone many, many, many a time. <laughs> Very true. Uh, and so th this is the real world and that, that's what we're trying to do on this show. Uh, Kurt, I know that's all we had for time on this episode, but thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. So that's all for this episode in the AI and Business Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This coming Thursday, we're going to be getting into our Making the Business Case episode where we talk about AI adoption and AI ROI. If you're not following us already on social, be sure to do so. Very easy to find on Twitter. It's at E-M-E-R-J. We have a growing audience there ever since I started mentioning on the podcast. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's hopping onto our Twitter handle. So we're, we're posting more now in terms of uh, most recent interviews, uh, all of our latest info graphics, all of our latest articles, and we're posting multiple times a day to be able to keep the feeds open. You can find us at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook as well. So don't miss a beat when it comes to staying ahead of the machine learning curve and be sure to follow us on social. That's all for this episode. I look forward to catching you here in two days for our Making the Business Case episode on the AI and Business Podcast. <laughs>